I'm Aunt Kelly Anakin. And I'm Molly of Mitchell Sanchez. We're here to take birth control and talk about The Handmaid's Tale. And we're all out of both. Thanks, Trump. Let's just read all over your graceful alias Grace recap. Let me in. Oh. You okay? Yeah. Okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. Cool. Such a scary thing for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, real scary kill. If you had to be possessed by a friend, what friend would you like to possess you? you. Really? Well, yeah, I think actually because I think I'd be like a really responsible possessor of your body. You would, but I also think that you I admire how you express yourself. Aww. And you would be like the dark universe me that's like, "No, fuck you." <laughs> I would also be like, "By the way, I'm a ghost yeah. in Molly's body." Okay? <laughs> so like, leave her alone. <laughs> Who would you like to possess you? You don't have God, to say me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, like honestly, like Amy, my ex. Aww. Well, she's been in there before. That's true. Um, <laughs> she knows the territory. And well, no, and she just, you know, she'd be very, she'd also be like, uh, hi, I'm Amy. I'm a ghost Aww. in Kelly's body. So nice. Yeah. There's a really good, uh, there's a Killing My Lobster show going on right now that's about uh, Dickens. Uh-huh. And there's a great, like, ghost possession scene that's nice they just do it excellent i mean i would really you know for all the ghosts out there listening Mm -hmm. i really prefer that you not possess me ghosts leave me the heck alone yeah i believe you i respect you i don't want to bug you stay on out of here oh also i'm just gonna make a quick little recommendation not so much for you but for people who like scary movies i just watched the original classic black christmas and it is a fantastic movie it's amazing because like usually horror movies made in the 70s like you know, like your Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I just saw. Up. I just saw. Oh, it's so great! Very I love good. it. But Black Christmas was great, and it's one of Andrea Martin's first film roles of all time. Uh, she's the the aunt in My Big Fat Greek Wedding mm. with the Bibopsy and, and the, the Boont. Yes, also an original cast member on Second City TV. Uh-huh. Uh, she has a really great cameo in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I love mm. her. So if you're an Andrea Martin fan. <laughs> Or a fan of horror or Christmas, but like make sure one of the other two, you know, anyway, Black Christmas, good times. And I would like to recommend for all those people who are scared, watch uh, Mr. Magoo, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. It's on uh, YouTube in its entirety. It's pretty good. I know. I never liked that one. I like that one. Even though they say, and frazzle berry dressing. Yep. That's the, the only part I ever cared about. I'm saving the OG favorite Christmas movie for, I think, Christmas Eve. Yeah. I really want to watch Muppet Christmas Carol. I already watched Muppet Family Christmas with my friend Sam, who oh, you met this morning. Lovely, man. And uh, I'll watch it again with my family. But, like, Sam's my West Coast family. So mm. we had to get it in. And, you know, then we, like, when I watch it with Sam, we can speculate about which ones of them <laughs> are gay. Yeah. And, like, which ones are on heroin. Like, we have a did good you, time. Did you have that on, on a tape or something? Or you Oh, yeah. My, uh, oh, we found it online. Okay. And then, but growing up, we both had okay. tapes. Because I want to watch it. my family's tape is probably worn out. But we love it because it has the old commercials. Mm. Um, Those are so like my first sony god this is all before your time um i, I know do you remember my first sony yeah i like pizza pie i like macaroni but what i love is my first sony <laughs> speaking of like commercials <laughs> did you <laughs> there was that thread on twitter a few days ago that was like things that kids younger than millennials aren't gonna get and someone goes it's <laughs> they start doing that sears commercial do you remember that one or they're like, oh, it's so hot. Or the paper says tomorrow's going to be hotter. 
tomorrow? You said you'd call Sears. I'll call today. You'll call now. You don't remember that commercial? No. All right, cut this out. <laughs> I'm not, not going to cut it. Somebody who's listening remembers that commercial. Oh, it was so good. Like, they only had to say the first part of it in the tweet. And I'm like, I remember this whole ad. <laughs> so that's right, kids. Advertising <laughs> works. They're not going to know why the icon for text messages is an envelope. <laughs> oh, someone said, I think there was somebody, like, showed a person a floppy disk and like oh that's funny you got a toy made of the save sign (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) oh we have fun (laughs) okay anyway this is part two of our alias grace book discussion Mm -hmm. so in part one we had some chatter about mary whitney Mm -hmm. and just some sort of general overall observations yep and in part two we'll be drilling down into the hypnosis yep, and whatever the fuck that was about <sighs> and also talking about the Kinnear residence mm-hmm. and Grace's relationships with Jamie Walsh, mm-hmm. James McDermott, Nancy Montgomery mm-hmm. and Thomas Kinnear. Mm-hmm. Thomas Kinnear? Yes. Yeah. Great. Yep. I can't believe I recalled all of that without having to check. And I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> I can. Kids aren't going to understand that either. Oh my or God. Fabio at all. Oof. They're going to be like, why? <laughs> like, why didn't people just watch porn? Well, <laughs> when we're all living in idiocracy oh boy <laughs> all right so let's kick this mother off how do you want to begin i love that dumb poem at the beginning Will you- which i know is not part of the end that we're talking about but the um the ballad of grace marks oh yeah the one that is ever so slightly off of rhyming yes or of um, being rhythmically good. It's really good. Grace Marks, she was a serving mage. A serving mage? <laughs> what is oh, this? Dungeons and Dragons? Roll 10 <laughs> to see how many serves your mage can do. Grace Marks, she was a serving maid. Her age was 16 years. McDermott was the stable hand. They worked at Thomas Kinnear's. That doesn't scan. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Thomas Kinnear was a gentleman, and life of ease led he, and he did love the housekeeper called Nancy Montgomery. Oh, Nancy, dear, do not despair. To town I now must go to bring some money home for you from the bank in Toronto. (laughs) Oh, Nancy's no well-born lady. Oh, Nancy, she is no queen. And yet she goes in satin and silk, the finest ever seen. Shit, we can't commit oh, to this Oh, wow. <laughs> I forgot how long it is. Anyway, but you get the, you get the sense you of it now. You got it. It's like uh, four pages. Wow. But what, it just keeps going. It's great. And it, did we figure out, was this a real poem? Or is this a Margaret Hang Atwood on, let thing? me go back. I don't know. It doesn't have... I think, let's, let's look it up and we'll post it on Facebook okay. if it is. But... I mean, it seems of the time. This is the kind of ballad that they would write. And the thing that's remarkable about this or interesting about this is that it claims that Grace had an affair with Mr. Kinnear and, and McDermott. McDermott at the same time. Well, and that's why these murders, we're still talking about these murders. Yeah. Like almost two centuries later at this yeah. point, which is insane to think about. Yeah. Uh, something that I think is interesting is I didn't necessarily think that Alias Grace was as relevant now as Handmaid's Tale was. Because uh-huh. when Handmaid's Tale, the show came out, it was like, this is terrifying because potentially this is only mm-hmm. five years from where we're right, right, right. <laughs> and I was just like, eh, Alias Grace, historical fiction, whatever. 
And now, especially with these, all these, you know, sexual assault, sexual assault allegations, it's like, oh, shit, alias Grace has always been relevant and will always be relevant as well. Here's what I think is so weird. The contrast between the two, because Mm -hmm. in The Handmaid's Tale, you have this very rich tapestry against which this very like isolated woman's story is told like i feel like alias grace is so much more of an expansive story somehow i don't understand why i feel like that but it's like alias grace is actually much more about just this one woman it's less the society that she moves in is not as important to understand as the society that offred moves in because yeah. And I don't know if it's because it's a historical thing and we already have sort of we a sense it, of like yeah. what Victorian North America was like. So there are both instances of Margaret Atwood painting something new, putting new wine in an old bottle, kind of. Who would do that? <laughs> what a horrible person. It's a saying. <laughs> so in Handmaid's Tale, she's using the backdrop of society to sort of juxtapose these scary, hyper-exaggerated, yeah. futuristic things on. And then in this, she's using the nuance that you gain from writing this book in the 80s to thinking about what women might have been thinking about in you know the 1800s. They're both... Offred is not an unreliable narrator in the same way that Grace is, but you can't quite figure either one of them out. Yeah. Which I think is Margaret Atwood's MO in yeah. general. She hates... Well, she hates the idea of any character you can pin down. Oh, I love it. And I love it. And I will forever spend my life squirming trying to do so. Mm-hmm. And I think we can talk about this. I Margaret Atwood is interested in veiled women. Yeah. And we talk about... Uh, this this is relevant. Somebody brought this up really well in our discussion on Facebook, but the motif of the veiled woman comes up in Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes up in this, and it's sort of taking this thing that could mean so many things. So when we think about a veil, let's just unpack that. There's several reasons a woman wears a veil. It's like to get married, so very like virginal, mm-hmm. And like even the act in the wedding, which did you do this where no. like your dad takes off your veil? I didn't wear a veil at all okay. because of these reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but there's the very like. I had, a, I had a tiara. I think we bought a veil and I just didn't use it. So uh, the act in a wedding of like potentially pretend this is the first time you're seeing this woman's yeah. face. And I, her father, will take this veil off and show well, it and to you. Well, you know why that's a tradition, right? So they couldn't back out. <laughs> no, it's because of Rachel and Leah in the Bible. Because Laban tricks Jacob into marrying Leah because he didn't take the veil off. Oh, and that is how Laban is like, oh, well, you married the ugly one. Whoopsie. Even though, as we all know from the red tent, (laughs) Leah merely had heterochromatic eyes. Uh, Girl, when are we going to (laughs) cover that book? You know, we could do it after the new year. I don't care. Absolutely. Do you know that book is the reason why we became friends? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. Because the Facebook memories came up recently. Uh-huh. That book is also the reason I became a feminist along with The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. I read them, I think, in the same year. They're great. And I was like, hold on. You're telling me what? Excuse me? Uh-huh. I don't have agency uh-huh. in the patriarchy? Uh-huh. Turns out they were right. <laughs> um, we've gone far afield. We okay. have gone okay. really okay, far afield. I'm back. I'm back. Ma- Sanchez is back. <laughs> um, Anakin, maybe. Anakin with the assist. I'm uh- on the tether. <laughs> So the other way women wear veils is 
when you are a dead person. <laughs> oh, <gasps> they're shit. covering your face with the veil. I would like a veil when I'm dead. Can you make sure that Absolutely. happens, please? 100%. Thank you. You got it. You can also wear a veil in mourning. So mm-hmm. those are a couple of different times you can wear veils. And I think from the Modesty Bonnets and the Handmaid's Tale to the veil that they put over Grace during the hypnosis, she's getting hypnotized to even the fucking bonnet. Yeah, they talk about bonnets and alias they're Grace. They're so interested mm-hmm. in this idea of obscuring women for a purpose, mm-hmm. be it a purpose to preserve their modesty or virginity or to be it like to just, you know, veil their proximity to death. It's so interesting. I am going to say something else that's kind of far afield, but I want to bring it up. There's actually a lot is made of veils in David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest, which is a book that has been Dave Matthews banded, (laughs) which is where people hate the fans. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they hate the book. Oh, Twilighted. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Oh, uh, Rick and Morty. Oh, God. Their fans are fucking terrible. Except Mitch. Mitch, you're a good guy. (laughs) Look, I didn't even know that he liked it. I I bought my brother a Mr. Me Seeks shirt you know like it's fine it's a great show it's a great show but people are shit calm about the it. fuck down yeah anyway but there's a whole thing in that where people take the veil either because of extreme de- deformity and you never find out why this one particular character took it really? like either she's so beautiful that it's a deformity like that's how it functions Ooh. for her or somebody threw acid in her face and like you Ooh. never find out that's interesting but anyway i have long believed that margaret atwood and david foster wallace had very similar mo's uh, they're both yeah. water signs. <laughs> and I mean, just Infinite Jest has exactly the same kind of shit that she pulls in Oryx and Craig, mm. where it's like just all of these like ridiculous like corporate names for things like the years are now sponsored in the way that we have like Levi Stadium. <laughs> it's like the year of the trial size Dove chocolate bar. Ooh. Like it's such a good book. If you haven't like it's a long book. It's an is, investment. Is that the next Atwood book I should read? Do you think? What, Infinite Jest? No. No. Oh, Orcs and Craig. Orcs and Craig. Yeah, actually. That's what you were referring to, right, with the years, right? No, no, no. The years in that are not named. Is that David Foster Wallace? That's David Foster Wallace who did that. I mean, should I? (laughs) Infinite Jest is great. Okay. I would say, have you read any David Foster Wallace? Mm-mm. I would start with some of his essays and see if you like the essays okay. and if you can like keep up with his footnotiness. Okay, I like the which movie. is not what I did. I just read okay. Infinite just not knowing what the shit it was. Cool, because like Amy was reading it and I was like, "What's this book?" And she like, you know, I didn't know about its reputation, <laughs> so I just read it in one go. And that's actually part of the reason that Amy and I got married was because I just read that book in one sitting. And she's like, "What the fu- what?" And I was like, "What? It's just a book. It's just words." You're like what? Like it's hard. Exactly. <laughs> I was thinking about how I'm the Elle Woods and Amy is the, um, oh, what is her name? Selma, Jennifer, Selma Blair? No, Jennifer Coolidge's character. Oh, Claudette? Yeah. Yeah. That's so cute. Yeah. So I got to teach Amy how to bend and snap. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and get her dog back. Yeah. That's great. I'm taking the dog. Dumbass. <laughs> Man. Okay. Listen, listen. We're never going to cover the deuce because I want to talk about Legally Blonde some more. I would much rather watch Legally Blonde than the deuce. And the Legally Blonde musical is great. Anyhow. Okay. So let's Here get back go. to the book. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for perseverating about David Foster Wallace. <laughs> so we talk about when she gets to the Kinnears. This is sort of a companion to what I said in the previous episode about Grace having these sort of shifts of character like where you know she'd be really violent or really sexual and we don't know if that's real and we also get a sense from her that nancy was very changeable and that nancy was what you would call two-faced yeah and again 
because of what we know about Grace being kind of an unreliable narrator, mm-hmm. like, I don't know how true this is. Now, the best lies have a basis in truth. Yes. So for that reason, I believe I believe everything that Grace says to a degree. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I believe that the broad strokes of everything she says happened. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we still have no idea. Was she having some sort of affair with McDermott? Mm-hmm. Was she having some sort of affair with Mr. Kinnear? Ooh, what was the thoughts. true nature of her relationship with Nancy? Yeah, I have thoughts on that. What are your thoughts? Well, because I don't know what I think. Like, I feel like I just like by the time we get to the second half of this book, I'm like, you're taking me on a ride, Grace Marks. Absolutely. And I'm here for it. But I, it's not for me to like have an opinion. So I I definitely think I full-heartedly agree that Nancy is just a lady that is a little mercurial. Yeah. And I really like her. Well, and you have to assume because Grace is at the farm for such a short period of time. She was probably pregnant when she hired Grace. What? Yeah, sure. Because yeah. she's only there, what, six weeks? Yeah, a very short period <laughs> of time. Really short period. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So she's a little like possessed herself. Mm-hmm. By this thing that is changing her body chemistry. Yeah. Oof. That's so And uh, pregnancy will do that. That's what you, you say. Yeah. You go crazy. <laughs> I think Margaret Atwood is interested in the power that happens when women talk to each other. And that's certainly something we see in The Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. But also this in that like Nancy needs a woman there to save her reputation a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then it also becomes like her downfall. It, I think we should think about the interaction between Nancy and grace as similar to the relationship between Alfred and Serena Joy. I totally agree with you. And I think, and you get this throughout a ton of Margaret Atwood's mm-hmm. books, Cat's Eye in particular, The Blind Assassin, oh, I love those books. So the idea that women should be natural allies and yet how often they weaponize their femininity against each other. Because I'm very into the idea of weaponized femininity as it's applied toward men. And I think you get that here in the way that Grace plays with Dr. Jordan in particular. Mm -hmm. However, you know, it's a double-edged sword. And you can hurt other women. You can hurt yourself with your weaponized femininity. Absolutely. And there is a completely different version of this story where instead of being jealous of Grace and worrying about Mr. Kinnear... That Nancy is like, you know what, I, you know, Grace is my ally here. Let's she and I stick together in this house with these two unpredictable men. I mean, the men in the house are very unpredictable in different ways. Like Mr. Kinnear is just like old and doesn't give a fuck about Victorian social mores, which again, he thinks he's very progressive, but maybe he's not. I mean, we don't know that he wouldn't throw Nancy over for Grace. And I mean, that's the suggestion that we get from Jeremiah. And then McDermott is just straight up dangerous. Yeah. You know, he's He's, an unsavory element. He is crazy. Yeah. I think McDermott is, is, has some kind of something. I don't think he's a sane person. Yeah. Uh, So, Okay, gosh, boy, there's a lot to go. I, what I want to say before we move on from this topic, which I don't think we will necessarily move on, but we'll talk about it in a different <laughs> way, is it reminds me of the Anakin principle. Yeah. Which is uh, so much of women's interpersonal conflict 
could be resolved if there were no men. Mm -hmm. And if there are no men, Nancy and Grace, I think, would get along like gangbusters. I agree. I don't think it would be the same as her relationship with Mary Whitney because I think that was a unique circumstance. Yeah. And they were just compatible, like period. Whereas Grace and Nancy aren't quite as compatible, but there's plenty that they could have in common. Absolutely. The other man I want to point out, because we talked in the previous episode about Dr. Jordan, about how he thinks of himself as very progressive. Mm -hmm. I want to doubly apply that to Jeremiah because yeah, he, as the audience oh, feel yeah. that he's progressive, he feels that he's progressive because he's like, I don't believe in marriage, but that's actually a really harmful attitude for him. Yeah, it's, or, well, it's harmful for him to have that attitude with regards to Grace because if he had said he would marry her, you know, this is the not, you know, who knows what, because I think Jeremiah is a character that uh, Margaret Atwood totally made up. Yeah. And the idea that he... If he had said, I will marry you, Grace, Grace would have just lit out of there right then. Because yeah. Grace had a bad feeling. She didn't want to stay, yeah. but she didn't want to die because the doctor put a knife in her. Right. And exactly. And I think Jeremiah and Mr. Kinnear are good uh, mirror pieces of each other. Because just like you were saying just now with Mr. Kinnear, is, there's no guarantee that he wouldn't have you know, started having a relationship with Grace instead of Nancy. Mm-hmm. Though I think if you asked Mr. Kinnear, he would be like, why not both? Um, I totally agree uh, with you. But the well, other he would thing, blame them for that. Exactly. Um, the other thing I think we should think about is that for all of his liberalness and all of his, you know, kindness or whatever, mm-hmm. or progressive ways, we don't know that if Nancy was like, hey, I'm pregnant if he wouldn't have pulled the old George Parkinson and been like, here's $5, get out. We, we get, don't know. We get the reference when his friends are over for dinner. They ask where the rest of his Turkish harem is. And I'm like, where are they, though? Do you think he's kind of like a bluebeard figure? I don't think he's a bluebeard. But I mean, I think, you know, I don't think he's physically killing these women himself. But I think that he has gotten women in trouble and sent yeah. them packing. That's that's a because great he's not that. a young man. He's an older guy. Yeah. He's presumably been doing this for a long time. That's and a that's really why great. these other women are like, don't hang out with him. That's he a has a read. bad reputation. This is sort of this whole story, though. That's an excellent read. I love that. I never thought about that before. This whole story, though, if we're going to talk about Bluebeard, which is, uh, of course, the sort of uh, fairy tale. Have about- you read Angela Carter's? Yes. I love that. Yep. We could talk about that book on this podcast. I would be all about it. Oh, the woman in the tower. Is that the name of that? The, uh, the whole thing is like the bleeding heart or something. It's dope. I it's can't so remember. Good. But it's like the collection of all of her like fairy tale stories. How about uh, you fuck with uh, in the company of wolves? I have never read it, which is weird, dude. If there was anything I'm like, I bet Kelly likes that. It would be in the company of wolves. I will read it. OK, maybe I'll read that over my holiday break. Yeah, it's great. I'm like, uh, I've been saying that about like every book that's come up for the last two weeks. So we'll see what I actually oh, read. You know what? Too? <laughs> Stay tuned to our Facebook group because I'm going to make the Alias Grace reading list. Oh, that's before the new year. That's yeah, great. And we should relink the other one, too, because I think some people have been asking I'm about it. Pin it to the top of our page. Yeah, cool. I think. Um, anyhow. So Mr. Kinnear and Jeremiah are both people who make a show of being progressive but are actually potentially not and they're both men so they have the privilege of being like yeah sex is awesome sex for everybody without any of the physical possessive consequences Mm -hmm. they can't be caught in the same way women can be caught necessarily so of course neither of them want to get married but they want to get their fuck on Mm because it doesn't mean anything to them 
And they're, they are given that privilege because they're never going to be held to account. They've both specifically constructed their lives. Dr. Jordan as well has specifically constructed his life that he can never be called out mm-hmm. for his predilections. Speaking of said predilections, after reading the book, do you think Grace slept with uh, Mr. Kinnear? I have no fucking clue. I think it happened and it was so traumatic that she blocked it out. I'm thinking the first instance I think of this, this is great. So Grace is kind of puzzling to herself how she should tell Dr. Jordan about the days leading up to the murder. Mm-hmm. And what she says, I said that I remembered some of the things I did, but there are other things they said I did, which I said I could not remember at all. Did he say, I saw you outside at night in your nightgown in the moonlight? Did he say, who were you looking for? Was it a man? Did he say, I pay good wages, but I want good service in return? Did he say, do not worry, I will not tell your mistress. It'll be our secret. Did he say, you are a good girl? He might have said that, or I might have been asleep. Oh, well, then I think it happened. I think it happened. I think that her, I'm going to come down. We discussed this a little in our show recap. I'm going to come down pretty firmly now. Okay. No ghosts. Ghosts are not real. No thing like that. Ghosts, ghosts, <laughs> I mean, if any ghosts are listening, ghosts are real. But I don't think in the in this book. I don't think if ghosts are listening, they need you to tell them that they're real. Okay. I just want you. But I think it's the people. Who, I mean, this, ghosts are pretty much pure self-actualization. Right, if right. they exist. Yeah, yeah. That's all they Which have they going do. for them. <laughs> this is why I get scared with Mitch sometimes. Because when we were watching scary movies for Halloween, he, uh-huh. after every ghost movie, he'd turn to me and he goes, and you believe this. <laughs> and I get worried because if ghosts were watching us they'd be like oh shit that boy don't believe in ghosts i'm gonna get him and i'm like i'm right here don't come (laughs) anyway so i don't think that ghosts exist in this book necessarily you don't feel that ghosts participate in this book that's what i meant to say i definitely think that grace deals with trauma by blacking out and having some kind of dissociative identity disorder because i think this passage which has to refer to Kinnear mm-hmm. because James McDermott doesn't pay her any shit. No. So why would she think of that? Mm-hmm. I think Kinnear came to her and there's another part that is referenced. I think well, Kinnear we came this, to her. We and, saw this in the show when he was like looking for his dirty girl. Yes. Like that's what this sort of feels like the analog to me. Yes. Uh, here you go. Here. Here, uh, here I go. Here I go. Here I go. go. There's a part on page 303 in my version where she's having some kind of dream or thought. Ah, this is it. This is like sometime right before or right after the murder happens. Mm -hmm. And she's talking about walking through the house at night. It says the bedroom door is half open and I can listen. Bare feet on the red flower carpet. I know you're hiding from me. Come out at once. I'll have to find you. I keep very still behind the door. I can hear my own heart. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Here I come. I'm coming now. You never obey me. You never do what I say. Dirty girl. Now you'll be punished. It's not my fault. What can I do? Where can I turn? You must unlock the door. You must open the window. You must let me in. So I think we're supposed to this let me in uh-huh. is juxtaposed with Kinnear, I think, coming to her and raping her. Yeah. And then that moment that that happens to her, she switches into Mary to shut out this pain. Yeah. And to become someone who can deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I think that, to me, that brings me firmly down on, yes, 
Kinnear raped her Mm -hmm. and maybe perceived consent, you know, in the same way that Dr. Simon perceived consent when he had sex with his serving girl. And when that happened, she shut off. I and Mary Whitney, Mary Whitney air quotes came in. Despite how much I want Mary Whitney's ghost to be the explanation, which is very much. Mm -hmm. I think that it is much more likely that it is a dissociative state. Yeah. And I don't, I really don't think that this is a scam that she and Jeremiah are pulling. Like, yeah, I don't think so. I, I agree that I think you brought this up when we talked about it with the show. It's possible that they like, we're like, okay, we're going to do like, here's this plan and -hmm. we're going to do this. But then grace goes off book because she has dissociative personality disorder. Yeah. And she doesn't understand it. Mm -hmm. You know, she tells about it on, Mm -hmm. you know, several occasions. She's like, this is what they said that I did. And I don't remember it. I don't understand it. Dr. Jordan doesn't understand it. They don't have the words for this yet. Mm -hmm. There is just no way to understand what's happening to her. I agree. Anyway, I just, I feel so bad for this fictional version of Grace Marks. Me too. Because the story, you know, the, the historical record of it is so lurid. It's like these four people on a farm. Everybody was fucking. But I mean, I mean, women still don't have 100% agency in this world. Absolutely. And I just, I don't know. It's just, it's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. I'm trying to see if I have anything highlighted re the hypnotism. Because we're at that point now, you think? Oh, totally. I think we've exhausted the Kinnear farm. <laughs> I mean, they so, they did it almost verbatim. They did right down to show Miss Quinnell being the best character in this book, being so fucking hilarious. <laughs> she kills me. So they're in the seance and they're trying to do it. And Miss Quinnell is up to some shit. <laughs> She's so up to shit. And you so the sh- the book invites you to think that because is it the governor's house it's at mrs quinnell okay house. makes even more sense they invite you to think that miss quinnell has rigged this sort of haunted yeah. mansion sort of illusion at her house mm-hmm. that there is somebody in another room who raps or there's some kind of like button that she pushes that yeah well and i mean sounds. that's you know that's the thing about 19th century spiritualism is that some of it was that girl you're gonna love this book i just gave you i'm so excited about it because i love those are some of my favorite episodes of the lore podcast or like about those things i think the other thing to notice here before we go into the hypnosis the epigram is the emily dickinson one Ooh. i felt a cleaving in my mind as if my brain had split i tried to match it scene by scene but could not make it fit i think that's maggie Yatz saying I also think this is a dissociative personality disorder. Absolutely. And because we don't ever get confirmation from anybody else in these books that the opening the window thing is significant. Yeah. All we get is from the one Irish woman who says it to Grace when they're on the ship. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Grace repeats it to Dr. Jordan, but we never get a sense from any of the other characters in her orbit that this is a tradition or that this is a concept yeah so i just think you know grace goes through so much trauma Mm -hmm. she goes through the trauma of being dirt poor in ireland yeah to the trauma of being on a ship period to losing her mother on that ship to taking care of her brothers and sisters and dealing with her father's abuse which they mention in the book yeah 
being turned out for work. That's the least traumatic part of her life. Turned out for work. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You were saying something really significant and all I could think of that. And But even when she is working, mm-hmm. you know, there are traumas. There's the Mary Whitney thing. Uh-huh. She works. They have her work a couple different places before going to Kinnear's. Yeah, in that the was book. interesting. Yeah, and I mean... I totally see why that doesn't make the cut in a way that doesn't bother me with the sort of like character problem changing that we talked about with the, Dr. Jordan being a creep you know and what? not being enough of a creep. It makes her naivete about Nancy sleeping with Mr. Kinnear kind of baffling mm-hmm. because they make a note that like in all these different places that she worked, it kind of kept happening that the, oh yeah, somebody would try to the master would try to start something with her or mm-hmm. another servant. So it just is kind of boggles me that she's like, "What? Nancy's sleeping with the boss? My I never." Like it doesn't make any sense that that she would not think that that was a thing. I mean, it's possible. Maybe she was just sort of like, oh, this guy's different. You know, yeah. <laughs> he's not like those other masters. Even Nan- I mean, Nancy says that. That's true. That's how she sells grace on coming to the farm. That's she true. says you'll find Mr. Kinnear is a liberal master. Yeah. And well, Grace is you like, know what I mean? Yeah. She's like, man, I'm getting pretty tired of these squares. <laughs> Keep trying to rape me. Ugh. Uh, turns out. Doesn't matter uh, what side of the political or progressive spectrum you're on. (laughs) Yikes. All right. Well, let's go back to something hilarious, which is the seance. (laughs) The seance is so fucking funny to me. And I'm so glad that the TV show made it funny because everybody is just so ready to play seance. And Jeremiah is so pissed off at everybody. Yes. Like, so first of all, they get all quiet. They get ready to go. And immediately these wrappings start. And you're like, rappings. And it's like, I was well, a terrorist love- since a public school era. Bathroom passes, cutting classes, squeezing asses. Not that kind of rap. The governor's wife is such a fucking narcissist. Oh, I love Because her. she's like, she's like, it's my baby. It's my baby. Remember how my baby talks to us? It's my baby. It's so funny because the way I imagined it is that somebody like scooted their chair back a little bit. Uh-huh. And she's like, baby, I'm yeah. coming. She's just like, she's like Pavlov's grieving mother. Just every noise. She's like, my baby. My baby. Where's my baby? And the best is that, so Mrs. Quinnell is pulling her Haunted Mansion shit and Jeremiah keeps going like, um, could you tell them to cut it out? And Mrs. Quinnell goes, well, I will try, but this is a Thursday and they are used to coming on Thursdays. (laughs) Girl. And then, this is so funny. She goes, she's got a sign up that's like spirits back at noon. Yeah. This is so mesmerism in progress. Please be quiet. It's so funny to read it, basically knowing that she is rigging the house, because it goes, she bows her head and claps, clasps her hands. After a moment, there's a series of little staccato pops, like handfuls of pebbles rattling down a drain spot. There, she says, I think that's done it. <laughs> Bitch, you were just like, okay, servant, stop throwing yeah. those pebbles down that drain spot. And she's like, don't worry, everyone, I've spoken to the ghost. <laughs> Mrs. Quinnell is the unsung hero of this book. She cracks me up. And then it gets real scary. (laughs) It does get so scary. Oh, my gosh. I just, again, I have now a memory of listening to this on the train. I was, like, in the back in that little, like, weird cubby that you can sneak into at rush hour sometimes. Yeah. And I'm, like, on the train. And I'm, like, I had, like, my mouth was just hanging open through this whole part. Because this book is so sort of bucolic and quiet up until now. And then all of a sudden it's just, like, kapow! Oh, it's so good. It's so good. 
the two men in her life at this point who are sort of they're the most constant like and in two different ways like jeremiah is this constant for her because he just keeps showing up mm-hmm. and then dr jordan is the constant because she's seen him so much mm-hmm. over this period of time mm-hmm. and they are both shook af by what happens to her like i think that jeremiah had no idea that this was going to happen because we know he goes into this as a charlatan like whatever yeah. whatever possible witchy gifts he may have we know that this is a straight business proposition for him and that he views you know quote unquote telling people what they want to hear as a kind of charity because it mentions earlier in the book and i don't think that goes into this as much in the tv show that like he used to do medical mesmerism which uh-huh. as far as i can gather you like put your hand on someone you're like oh boy there's a <laughs> there's a tumor in there let's think let, let me ask the tumor to leave and pretend that it did uh-huh. and they would do that by like planting people in the audience very yeah. like prestige style so he admits early in the book he's like i people are just suggestible like they, i don't really have any powers this mm-hmm. way so we know he's fake and you're right i think what he brushes up against is her very real mental illness yeah and then this is where it gets scary on yeah pa- yeah on page 47 or 407 i was can- like what <laughs> on page 47 like, what book are you reading <laughs> on page 407 i'm gonna tee you up and then you can do your scary ass voice if you want okay ready yes okay <clears throat> there is a pause then grace laughs or someone laughs it doesn't sound like grace relations doctor (laughs) what do you mean the voice is thin wavering watery but fully present fully alert really doctor you are such a hypocrite you want to know if i kissed him if i slept with him if i was his paramour is that it I teed teed you up for this, but it scared the shit out of me. Well, and here's what's legitimately insane is like, I'm scared reading it, like just in my head. Like, I can't explain what magical powers Margaret Atwood has, but the text is frightening. When she says, or someone laughs, my blood goes cold. Yeah. My blood goes cold. And I think this is sort of what we were talking about. I can't remember if it was this episode or last episode about how it's a very Atwoodian thing to juxtapose something calm with something terrifying. Mm -hmm. So I think she teases up to this very scary part by being like, isn't Mrs. Quinnell just a bat? Oh, so crazy. Anyway, somebody else talked. (laughs) No, because she's like, oh, mesmerism is bullshit. But then what is this now? Because this is not explainable by any means that we've been given in this story. It's so scary. It's so scary. It's so scary. And we also get this sense that Grace is hyper perceptive. Yeah. Because she is aware of what's going on with Miss Lydia. Like Dr. Jordan is aware because like he's like, does Miss Lydia know that she's like pressing her leg against me? Mm-hmm. And just all these things. And you know, God only knows what nonsense Miss Lydia says to Grace. That's the thing is, I think that Grace, so Grace Prime, <laughs> has been collecting all this information and kind of filing it away because they talk about how, you know, they have to mend the dress for Lydia to yes. wear and how she notices as she's mending it. She's like, oh, low cut, huh? Like, mm-hmm. ooh, okay. So she makes like little points to say that she notices Lydia looking at Dr. Jordan mm-hmm. and she notices because she's this kind of storyteller, she notices that Dr. Jordan kind of perks up a little when she herself mm-hmm. talks about the kind of 
sexual parts yeah. of her story. So she, Grace Prime, has these inklings that there is some sexual stuff going on in everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. But Grace, too, Mary Whitney, <laughs> yeah. expresses it without any bullshit. Yeah. So it's like like we all we all have things that we collect on a surface level, but make judgments about in our mm-hmm. mind and that we don't necessarily even give voice to. So Mary Whitney is the voice of that. I like how they keep the point about the reverend thinking that it's funny. Yeah. That she accuses Lydia. <laughs> and I mean, this whole thing is, you know, again, these are these weird ass people who are like, you know what? We think we should exonerate this lady. Yeah. Like based on no evidence. Apart from Grace being well-mannered. Yeah. Like, it's basically just by being polite and by being a white woman. They're like, she couldn't have done this. She yeah. couldn't have possibly committed these murders. Absolutely. She's a she's one of the good ones. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like the hubris of a dog owner being like, Oh, my dog is so sweet, my dog loves me. It's like, yeah, your dog also puts its like whole mouth in the butthole of another dog. Yeah. Routinely. <laughs> and we, it, it's disgusting. Yeah. So it's like there is these two parts exist. I think that's why in the book she has no accent. Because she's one of the good Irish. I was just going to bring that up. Because not only is she from Northern Ireland and a Protestant, she barely hasn't, you know, she's assimilated, which is what you're supposed to do in North America. And I mean, clearly, if by whatever mechanism it's possible, she can speak like a whole other person. Yeah. And I remember being so angry that Jeremiah just took off after this. I was much more upset by that. Than I was by Doc, because of course Doctor Jordan was going to take off. He's a giant pussy. Yeah, but Jeremiah, I thought, was made of sterner stuff. And I mean, I don't know that there's anything for, like not that he needed to like stick around. Like you know, there's only so much he could do for her. But just to be like, hey, that was weird. But I think nobody ever tells her what happened, right? No one, nobody ever, ever tells, tells her. her. And we get a sense from her. She's like, I would like to know what happened and so she still denied the knowledge that she herself has and has protected herself from and just still just nobody can conceive of any of this oh it's so scary it's so scary i want to point out something real quick they talk about like the Kinnear murders happened july 23rd which <gasps> i'm gonna say i think grace and i have the same birthday <laughs> that's I, exciting I, it sound it seems to me the timeline would work out that two days before these murders was her birthday. Yeah. And that's my birthday too. Congrats. And the trial is on Mitch's birthday. So everybody has something special. And she was admitted to the penitentiary on my birthday. Whoa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's creepy. It is very creepy. It's so scary when you're reading the book and you realize it's not Grace talking Mm -hmm. and you kind of realize who it is. Because it's such a stark difference from her tone. Yeah, because you think, I think, I remember thinking the first time I read this, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. This is just the part of her that did it. Like, yeah. you didn't, I, it didn't occur to me that it would be another person that uh-huh. we knew. But when she says, it was my kerchief uh-huh. that strangled her, it's like, wait a minute, Grace doesn't have a, cur- oh, no. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you find out that a lot of what James McDermott said about her was, if this is real was true it could certainly and you know whereas all of these fine people have been like oh he was just slandering her you know for like revenge or something because it wasn't like it was even gonna save his neck yeah but like just to like see her be equally punished 
you know, it seems like perhaps a lot of what James McDermott had to say happened. Yeah. Oof. Um, yeah, I agree. Well, um, it's hard for me because it's very easy for me to imagine that when Grace is say about to be hurt by Mr. Kinnear. She mm-hmm. switches into this. Mm-hmm. So I'm confused if like, when does she snap into it in front of McDermott is what I would be confused about. Like what is the inciting incident? Maybe she's lying. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I'm like, I feel like I would have to like do a serial killer board <laughs> and like, you know, connect things with string and be like, this is when it happened. And this one, it didn't happen. Yeah. Well, okay. We don't have a timeline on if Mr. Kinnear is raping her. Mm-hmm. That could have started happening the first day. Oh boy. Yeah. That could have been happening anytime, all the time. So mm, yeah. she could have just Jeez. been sort of pinging back and forth between different states of consciousness Man. the whole time without her truly understanding it. And, you know, she might have other states in there that we don't even encounter. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're only privy to Grace Prime and Mary Whitney. Mm -hmm. There might be other coping mechanisms that she leans on. So scary. Maybe she's Aunt Pauline sometimes. Who knows? Whoa. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's a bit of a stretch. There's nothing in the text that supports that. Maybe maybe she's the teapot that got broken on the ship. Oh, my God. Do you mind if we jump? Yeah. To the end of this. So Jeremiah leaves town and Dr. Jordan is very perturbed by all of this and then goes back to Mrs. Humphrey's house. So he has been fucking Mrs. Humphrey's most of the book, which is the change that they made in the show, because we don't see them actually having sex until after the mesmerism. And then he tells her, I wanted to do that with someone else, not you. It. No, that's not true. Yeah, in, in the show, that's not true because in the show it happens the same way as in the book where he's dreaming of Grace. And but Mrs. I Humphreys didn't feel like in. they actually had sex at that point. Uh, he says he was inside of her. What do you count as sex? Did he say inside of her? Yes. When did he say that? How are you going to make me have to find? No, I mean in the part? show. When did he say that? Oh, I see. I don't think they actually had sex until this point. Because mm-hmm. she was trying to, but I don't. Th- I re- look, Molly. Have I been right every time? <gasps> You bitch. I've been right every time. <laughs> I think they... Okay. Fine. I, I don't think that they got to penetration. I think she was trying to, but they didn't get there. When she comes in and he thinks it's Grace and he thinks he's dreaming, they didn't have sex then. No, I'm going to stick to this. I think they did. I really don't think they did. And I've been right every time. I'm just saying I've been right every time. Okay. In the book, they that is when they first start right. having sex. So I'm saying they start having sex much earlier in the book. So it's not this like cathartic thing after after Grace's okay. mesmerism. All right. You so can he, think that. He, it's definitely not. Okay. He doesn't go back and fuck her after this. He goes back and she's like, oh, hey, my husband's coming back. We can run away, right? And then he's right. like, yeah, sure. And then he leaves. Well, that's not that's not entirely right either. Is So you're right. They start having sex earlier in the book and getting more and more. Right. She's like obsessed with obsessed him. Obsessed with him. Because like he like goes and like walks by the lake to try to avoid her. And then she like comes and finds him. <laughs> and there's something. Gosh, there's a lot to unpack before we get to your point. He talks about how she always wants it to be like, 
oh, oops, we're having sex. Or she wants it to be very porny and like, how could I ever repay you for helping me with my house? Ugh. I know a way. Like she, <laughs> he talks about gratitude by itself does not enthrall him, but he likes the idea of reluctance. Mm-hmm. So it's this Mrs. Humphreys is kind of playing with this idea too. Like she wants him. She definitely wants to have sex with him and has wanted to since day one. Mm-hmm. But she likes this idea that like, oh, I'm powerless to resist your your coming on to me. You're hurting me. Like she has this play assault scenario basically that she wants their dynamic to be. Yeah. And he kind of feels uncomfortable about that and then kind of is into it too which i think should make us think about grace's relationship with jamie at the end of the book Mm -hmm. it's like we're all doing these play acting that we don't want sex or that we don't want to hear about gross murder things but we all do because we're all disgusting (laughs) animals Mm -hmm. all right so to get to the the reason the reason i i modified what you said that he leaves because she's getting thirsty is because she he leaves because she wants him to kill her husband oh shit is that what she says yeah she says i don't have the exact quote underlined but and this is another departure from the tv show in the tv show mr humphrey is gone in the book we see him for a little bit at the beginning of the book yeah he leaves to go gamble she kind of like carries on as if she's a widow and has this affair with jordan Mm -hmm. Then she gets a letter saying that he's coming back and she is kind of like explicitly. She's like, what if we kill him? What if we kill him? And so that's what scares him is he was just in proximity to this other murder. And now he sees how a similar dynamic happens. Mm -hmm. Like if we kill him, we can keep on doing our thing. And she even says in a very like Grace Marks McDermott way, she's like, once we kill him, we can go to America and just have new names and new mm-hmm. identities and new everything. Let's do that together. If you love Except me, he's from America. Like, I feel like it doesn't work as well. Yeah, she, <laughs> she definitely didn't think it through and then spends the rest of her life pining for him. But he leaves because she wants to kill him. And you know what? The thing is, I think there's a part where he thinks about it. He's, he's like, what would it feel like to kill a person? But he also says he's a man of the world and won't be trapped that way yeah. or blackmailed either. No breach of promise suit for him in case her husband dies. Yeah. Perhaps she'll kill the major herself. She's more than capable of it. Yep. Which is funny because he has spent this entire book with Grace Marks, who by all accounts killed two people. Yeah. Being like, she couldn't have done it. There's like just no way. There's like, because I fucked a servant once, like there's just no way this servant could have killed anybody versus Mrs. Humphreys where he's like, this bitch is crazy. And he also dreams about killing Mrs. Humphreys too. So we're all like very close to murder as people. (laughs) So that's scary. And then he runs away. Yeah. And Mrs. Humphreys keeps writing him letters. Oh, this is the best. Forever. And Mrs. Jordan writes back and she's like, hi, quit writing to my son. He don't know you. But then Simon does go off and fight in the Civil War. And as in the show, he gets a head injury mm-hmm. and is severely, you know, uh, his function is very limited. And Mrs. Humphreys is like, listen, he has this horrible brain injury and like he does not know anything anymore. So seriously, like he wasn't Stop. interested before. He's way less, like he won't even remember that this happened. Yeah. And we find out that he does like... He's being tended to by this woman that his mom wanted him to marry, but he calls her Grace, 
like it's awkward yeah and his mom's like who who is that (laughs) well these letters from the mother are so interesting she also tells rachel to invest in a sewing machine yeah (laughs) bitch loves sewing machines she's right she's right yeah like the entire you know early 20th century is the industrial revolution like this is all happening yeah she had the great idea but those letters are so funny because she starts off with being like back the f off and then the end of the letter is like look i get it i'm a widow men suck i understand but not in my house (laughs) (laughs) oh it's so great and i don't apart from the pregnancy part i don't feel like i want to talk about jamie walsh that much i feel like we've said enough about him yeah baby with a beard and, and well and his morbid curiosity yeah. and i was so bummed that it wasn't jeremiah even though it makes no sense for it to be jeremiah well she sees jeremiah once again she does see him once again because he is out doing his mesmerism shit on the stage so. and he too has a red beard now which yeah. is a bad choice bad choice jeremiah just <laughs> quit having beard deal and no, well, she mine. writes a letter to him mm-hmm. and she's like hey and she makes this reference to like things that we both know mm-hmm. and we're like but what things and she's like i'll never tell i don't know i still don't know so it's interesting because grace is what 46 at the end of the book mm-hmm. and yeah. she's she's written this letter to dr jordan and she's like oh by the way also i might be pregnant i kind of like that maybe i'm going through menopause and i like it too like it feels like finally a fresh start and like a person living inside of her that came out of something mostly good i mean we've got you know there's there's some weird issues with the whole jamie walsh thing because it's like what what was she gonna do you know that's such a it's it's the same as her entire life which is like well i guess i'll make the best out of a weird bad situation when life gives you incest and rape make a quilt yeah and but because the governor and his wife are just like oh yeah this is great like (laughs) what what a great surprise for you i hate that part that this man like wants to like take you in because like they don't even question it they're like oh yeah we're just gonna take you like they don't tell her anything about it i hate it Uh, but yeah i think this is such a gross interesting thing that maggie adds added to this because we don't know what happened to grace after she leaves the country historically we don't know what happened so for her to add that even when she's safe even when she's out of prison got her own farm got some dogs and cats and horses and and everything she gets everything she wanted there's still this taint on it of Ooh, but you also got to relive your trauma again and again and again for a man to whack off to for a man who is the reason you're in jail uh, yes 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 like for all the reasons that the committee to free grace marks right thought she shouldn't be in prison that all could have been fine yeah if he hadn't damned her with his testimony so even and, when women are free they're not free yeah freedom ain't free Ugh. for any woman Ugh. sorry <laughs> bad news everybody the patriarchy Still chugging along. Real quick, did you read that article I posted about how, or that video I posted about how Sarah Gaydon had her dad hypnotize her? No, I saw the headline, but I didn't like actually get to watch it. It's just, it's just funny. Okay, that that's, I'll she, check it out. She's like, I didn't even tell my mom and dad what was going to happen. I had him over for dinner, and then after dinner, I was like, Dad, could you hypnotize me right quick? <laughs> just, did he know how to do that? Or yeah, like, he's um, she said a psych. Which is the medicine one. Psychiatrist. He's a like psychiatrist and he's like gone to school for like mental things. And she's like, he could probably hypnotize me if anybody could. Uh But I just like that. She's like, hey, (laughs) while we're having coffee, 
right quick. You want to hypnotize me. So. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. She seems fun. She seems real fun. She, she took seems, some great pictures yeah. on the set. Oh my God. I love the one for the, the like roundup for this recording session, mm-hmm. like of them all being goofy. That's yeah. so fun. She's, takes a great picture yeah. she's great on instagram she seems nice jarring to hear her without an accent i know right <laughs> like oh you're just like a person oh and as somebody pointed out she does play queen elizabeth in a royal night out which is a really <gasps> yes. benign kind of dumb movie but you on know Netflix. what i want to watch it because of the crown which i know you love it is better than the crown <laughs> i will say i watched that movie saw the crown was a thing and thought oh i might want some more of this uh-huh. nope don't no. do not hard pass fair enough all right. Well, I think that's it. I think Boy. that might be us for 2017. Yeah. What a crazy year. Oh, my goodness. I'm so <laughs> grateful we've had each other in this community to sort of ride the insanity. Yeah. So until next time, no lite, te bastardes, carborundorum. Dum, 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 Atta girl Molly <laughs> What is that from? A wonder it's a wonderful life. Oh that's right <laughs>